you would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. You may have been wondering, was there some sort of mistake? Uh, The same passage from last week was printed in the worship guide this week, but no mistake. Uh, I am preaching from the same passage, but God's Word is so rich that uh, there is much to be gleaned here, and I, I will be focusing um, much more on uh, how Jesus shows compassion to the woman who touches him in this passage. And uh, as we are going through uh, this Advent series, we, we are pulling our theme for Advent from Psalm chapter 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This promise is most fully true through the person and work of Jesus. And this morning I want to look at how we see God's compassion through Jesus to this brokenhearted woman here in Mark 5. So please uh, read along with me. It's also printed in your worship guides on page, starting on page 9, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. 
And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them outside, all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would come and be with us now and make your word alive. Open our ears to hear the truth of your word. Change our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, have any of you ever driven through a, a really dense fog or a, a really heavy rainstorm? It's a scary experience. One of the, the fiercest storms I, I've ever ridden through, thankfully, I wasn't driving. But I was with a, a, a youth group. We were, we were two, in two 15-passenger vans. One of them had a trailer attached, the one I was in, had a trailer attached to the back. And it was raining so hard that you could not see anything. And it was so loud against the van. And, and, and the wind was whipping. You could feel the wind just pulling the van to and fro on the road. And it, and, it, and it seemed like every other second lightning was flashing. And I'll be honest with you, you know, we were, we were driving through Kansas on the way to RYM, Colorado. And I'm thinking to myself, where's the tornadoes out here? <laughs> every time lightning flashes, I'm looking in the sky for a tornado. It was, it was extremely terrifying. And we are at the mercy of the storm. Thankfully, we were able to get through it safely. But I remember the next day, I went to the guy that was driving the van, and I was like, how in the world were you able to keep going? And he told me, I couldn't see anything. All I could see was the yellow line on the road, and I stared at the yellow line, and I just kept trying to stay with the yellow line. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and the thing is, when we go through storms in our lives, when we go through suffering, I think it can feel like driving through a dense fog or a heavy rainstorm. All we can see is what is right in front of us. 
And most of the time, all we want is just to get through or somehow find relief. That's all we want. And that's all we can see. And that seems to be the case for the woman in this story. So I want to look at this, this story and this woman. You see, Jesus encounters <clears throat> this woman. As we look at the story, he encounters this woman in the middle of another story. Jesus was on his way to heal the daughter of a synagogue ruler by the name of Jairus. And, and these two stories are beautifully woven together in a way that each one helps us to understand the other. So let's just start at the beginning. Jesus had just crossed over the sea from the country of the, the Gerasenes where he had healed the man with the legion of demons. And, and the people of that country begged him to leave. Please, get out of here. We don't know what to do with you. But as soon as he crossed the sea, he was met with a great crowd that gathered around him. And he, he, he crosses the sea and he's met with this crowd. Then, then Jairus comes. And he falls at the feet of Jesus and implores him earnestly to come and lay his hands on his little daughter who is at the point of death. The ESV does a pretty good job of capturing the urgency of this situation with the, the word that is translated point of death. could also be translated as to be at the last gasp. The implication here seems to be that Jairus himself believes that his daughter could die at any moment. So they must hurry because he has to get Jesus to his daughter before she dies. By the end of the story, we see that she does indeed die before Jesus gets there. But Jesus agrees to go and lay his hands on Jairus' daughter, and they, they start heading that direction. But the crowd continues to throng or, or press in about him. He's trying to go with Jairus to heal his daughter again in a hurry, but there's some difficulty in navigating their way through the crowd. And, and this all sets the scene for what's about to happen. For it's at this point in the story that it gets interrupted by the woman in the crowd. I want to look at who is this woman who interrupts the story. Mark tells us a few things about her. First, he tells us that she has been suffering from a disease which has caused a discharge of blood for 12 long years. The word that is actually used to describe her disease can be translated as whip or scourge. It helps you grasp how desperate she might have been. 
And while there's some debate concerning the exact disease which she may have been suffering from, one thing is clear. This disease would have made her ceremonially unclean. And I won't get into the details of it, but you can read about this in Leviticus 15, starting in verse 25. And according to Leviticus 15, not only was she considered to be unclean, but what that meant was that any bed she laid on or seat that she sat in would have been unclean as well. And and her uncleanness would have also meant she was not allowed into the temple. Think about the implications of that for a moment. For 12 years, she hasn't been able to enter the temple to worship God together with his people. It's been hard for us not to be able to worship in the sanctuary for the last nine months. I can't imagine what it would be like to not be able to come to church for 12 years. It's not quite the same, but there's, there's some parallels there. But not only that, but according to Numbers 19, verse 22, it says, Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and anyone who touches it shall be unclean until evening. What this means is because of her uncleanness, she would not have been allowed to be in public without making it known that she was unclean. And no one would have wanted to come near her or touch her. Can you imagine how isolating this would have been? We, we struggle to, to quarantine for, 15, for 14 days. Imagine the isolation of dealing with this for 12 years. I have a hard time imagining what that would be like. I have a hard time imagining the loneliness and the desperation this woman must have felt. But that's not all that that Mark tells us. He then goes on to say, in verse 26, he writes, She has suffered much under many physicians and has spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She did all she could to find some relief from her condition, but nothing helped. It just made it worse. There may be some of you here who have experienced something like this, a chronic medical condition that that no matter how many doctors you go to or how many tests they run, you can't seem to come up with answers or any kind of effective treatments. Medical conditions like this take an emotional toll on anyone, especially as you begin to lose hope that it will ever get any better. She endured this kind of thing for 12 years. Not only did she not get better, so she grew worse. (laughs) And as, as if that weren't enough, Mark also tells us that she spent everything she had on treatment. She poured everything she had into finding some sort of relief 
and it only grew worse. Now, I don't want to speculate too much here, but because of the lack of advancement in medicine at the time, it's also quite possible when it says that that she went to doctor after doctor spending all she had, it's quite possible that some of these treatments were quite torturous. When you put all of this together, you can begin to understand this woman's desperation and loss of hope. But it was her suffering that drew her to Jesus. Mark paints a a pretty bleak picture as he describes this woman. This woman is one of the most brokenhearted people in all of Scripture. And, And when you see what she was going through, it's understandable that her suffering would have consumed her life. You you can understand how it would have been hard for her to see beyond, see anything beyond this condition. It would have been like a fog surrounding her. Yet it was her suffering that drew her to Jesus. She was brought to the end of herself. She had no ability to find healing on her own. She tried. Jesus was the only one who could help her. And it was her desperation that caused her to have an encounter with him. And as much as we hate suffering, and most of the time we try to avoid it at all costs, so often suffering is the means through which we experience our need of Jesus. As we see from Psalms, he draws near to those who are brokenhearted. We experience Jesus in our suffering. And as, as you experience suffering in this life, as many of us are even in this moment, it can come in so many different forms, broken relationships, health concerns, loneliness, concerns over money. It can be hard to see beyond the fog of our suffering and recognize that as hard as it may be, if it brings us to Jesus, it is for our good and for His glory. But as this story continues, again, you begin to understand why when she, was, when she saw the crowd surrounding Jesus, she saw it as an opportunity to be made well. Mark tells us that she had heard the reports about Jesus. This is probably similar to what Jesus tells the followers of John the Baptist, Baptist to report to John the Baptist when they asked if he was the one who was coming in Luke 7. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, And the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. With the likely exception of the dead being raised at this point in his ministry, but that would be included soon enough as we see at the end of the story. When she she heard that, she believed that Jesus could heal her too. 
In fact, she believed that all she needed to do was touch the outer garments of Jesus and she would be healed. I don't necessarily think that this meant that she had somehow had a greater faith than Jairus or, or anyone else who came to Jesus for healing. But possibly it had more to do with the fact that she was hoping to go unnoticed. Remember, because she was ceremonially unclean, she was not supposed to be in the crowd. It's not possible for her to have been there and not come in contact with many people in the crowd, and she was coming to touch Jesus, which would have made him unclean. And the people are, are tightly packed, pressing around Jesus. Everyone she touched would have been unclean. But when she touches Jesus, two things happen. First, Mark tells us that immediately the flow of blood dried up and she could feel she was healed. She must have felt so much joy and relief in that moment, I imagine that she wanted to cry out shouts of joy like we saw Mark read from Psalm 116 this morning. But just when she feels that joy and relief, Jesus stops and asks, Who touched my garments? She realizes Jesus knows what happened. And her plan to go unnoticed is thwarted. And she's filled with fear and trembling. Again, she was hoping to go unnoticed, unseen, unheard, but now she is being called out by Jesus. And you have to remember that, that Jesus stopping in this moment was a big deal. He was, he was on his way to heal a little girl who could die at any moment. The, the perception, again, is that there's no time to waste. He must hurry. Yet, here he is, stopping. You begin to get a sense of the tension of this moment in verse 31 when the disciples respond to Jesus asking this question, who touched my garments? They say, you see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? They're like, what in the world, Jesus? How, how can you ask, who touched me? Can you not see the crowd? Who hasn't touched me may be a better question for you to ask. What the disciples didn't understand, though, is that, that Jesus was talking about a healing touch. He perceived that power had gone out from him and that someone was healed by touching him. But, but Jesus ignores the comment of the disciples and continues to scan the crowd. Mark then tells us in verse 33 the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She didn't hold back. She places herself at the mercy of Jesus and, and tells him the whole truth. 
When you read this story, I think it can be easy to pass this moment by and not give it much thought. But I think in this moment, after she tells Jesus what had happened, in the earshot of the crowd, I think this is the climax of her story. She had just told Jesus and everyone else about how she, as an unclean woman, pushed her way through the crowd and touched Jesus. Again, she wasn't supposed to be there. She wasn't supposed to touch anyone. How was Jesus going to respond? Was he going to be angry over her disregard for ceremonial cleanliness? Was he going to rebuke her for slowing him down from his mission to heal Jairus' daughter? Was he going to turn her over to the crowd in their anger? Feel that tension in that moment. I want to look at how Jesus responds to her. I think it's it's so refreshing. The response to this woman is found in verse 34. He says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And be healed of your disease. The first word that Jesus speaks to her is daughter. He calls her daughter. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm struck by this reaction of Jesus. I think it may be one of the most shining examples of how deep Jesus' compassion truly is in the entirety of the New Testament, especially in the context of the story around it. In this one word, it is like Jesus is saying to her, I love you with the same sort of love that compelled Jairus to come to me on behalf of his daughter. Which, let me point out, was a sacrificial kind of love. Jairus was likely risking his position and his reputation by coming to Jesus because even early in Jesus' ministry, there was already tension between Jewish leaders and Jesus. Can you imagine what it must have been like, what it must have meant to her to have Jesus speak to her in such a loving way as a father would to his child. This woman who no one has wanted to touch for the last 12 years, Jesus says, I love you like a father loves his daughter. That had to fill her heart with overwhelming joy. I imagine so much more so than even when she realized she was healed. Have you ever experienced feeling the love of Christ in the midst of great pain? You know what this might feel like. During one of the most ex painful experiences of my life, I remember I started reading through the book of Psalms, and I started reading in Psalm 121 and, and was reminded that my help comes from the Lord. 
But I kept reading psalm after psalm, and when I got to Psalm 136, God's love became so tangible. For in Psalm 136, it repeats over and over again, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Twenty-six times. Repeats over and over The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. No matter the circumstance, the steadfast love of the Lord endures. No matter what you're going through, the steadfast love of the Lord endures. No matter the fog you seem to be surrounded by, the steadfast love of the Lord endures Every time, over and over, every time I read it, it became more and more real. It reminded me that his love always remains and never leaves me. Reading those words over and over again helped me to see beyond the fog of my suffering. It helped me to feel his love for me in the midst of my pain. I can't even begin to to find the words to express how much comfort that brought me. This woman must have felt the same sort of way when Jesus called her daughter. When we come to Jesus in faith, He doesn't always change our circumstances. He doesn't promise to just take away our suffering every time. Sometimes he heals. Sometimes he delays like he did with Jairus. Sometimes he says no, like he did with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. But change of circumstance or not, he always loves us. His steadfast love endures forever. But not only does Jesus express this great love for her, he then commends her for her faith. So not, he's not only not rebuking her, he's praising her. Yeah, at the same time, there is a loving correction here as well. In a loving way, I think he's making it clear to her that it was not some magic in the garment but by her faith in Him that she was healed. One author states it this way, it was the grasp of her faith rather than her hand that had secured the healing she sought. Her touch had been, or had brought together two elements, faith and Jesus, and that had made it effective. So he loves her even in that But then, not only does Jesus love her and commends her, he then blesses her by saying, go in peace. For 12 years, she had been suffering more than just from physical pain, but deep emotional and spiritual pain as well. Her disease affected every part of her life. Jesus' response to her makes it clear that his desire is not just to restore her physical body. 
That's what she came for, but he wants to give her so much more. He has a much fuller restoration in view. In reference to Jesus telling her to go in peace, one author asks this question. Have we not a right to conclude that nothing less than the full measure of the Hebrew shalom, well-being for both soul and body, is here implied? And in Romans 5.1, we see Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's telling her, your faith has granted you more than just this healing from this disease. Your faith has brought you peace with God. The last thing that Jesus says to her is be healed of your disease. As important as her, to her as it was to be healed of her disease because of all the hardship it brought to her life, it was a footnote to the true blessing that Jesus gave her, which Jesus expresses in both his love to her and the peace that he blesses her with. As I read through this story, I kept coming back to the question, what was so important to Jesus that caused him to stop when he felt someone touch his garment? When he felt that someone was healed by this touch? Couldn't he he have just allowed her to get what she came for and keep moving I think Paul looked at last week how that, that was a, him stopping was a blessing to Jairus as well, and it was within the plan. But what I think that this story shows as we're looking at it is it shows us that Jesus' compassion is too strong and his love for his people is too deep to be satisfied with just healing this woman's disease. All of Jesus' miracles were a testimony of his power. They authenticated his ministry. They were meant to show us who he is and what he came to do. They were acts of restoration of things that were broken. You see, it was important for Jesus to stop because he needed this woman to look beyond the fog of her suffering to see he was restoring more than just her body. That what he came to do was to restore in fullness. Jesus didn't come to earth and become man just so he could make some people's lives a a little bit better. He he didn't come just to heal a few people here and there and reduce their suffering. But his healings and all of his miracles pointed to the work that he did come to do. As one author puts it, these miracles that he performed and which John calls signs ushered in a new creation. 
All his miracles were signs that Jesus was restoring all things to himself. And again, because of his compassion, because his compassion is too strong and his love too deep, he would not be satisfied in that until that restoration was a complete restoration. When Jesus tells her to go in peace, he is pointing to something she doesn't fully understand yet. But he is pointing to the peace that he would accomplish on her behalf and on behalf of all his people on the cross. What she experienced with the healing of her disease was just a foretaste of the restoration she will experience when he comes again. And the same is true for us. When we go through suffering, whatever, whether he takes our suffering away or, or he wants us or not, he, he wants us to see beyond our suffering, to lift our eyes to the cross. It all points us to the cross. We can take peace. We can go in peace knowing that even though we can only taste his restoration now, he will bring it to completion when he comes again. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you sent your Son to give us more than what we even asked for. To heal us and restore us completely. To restore us to peace in our relationship with you so that we can spend eternity with our loving Father. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to look beyond the fog of our suffering and to lift our eyes to the cross and to there see your great compassion and love for your people. In your name we pray. Amen.